So welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. In this week's show, delighted to be joined by Dimitris Damdinopoulos. That's how I say it properly. You'll correct me in a minute. Dimitris is the currently the senior treasury analyst at Imperial Brands down in Bristol. They're a FTSE 100 company. They're actually the parent company of a business that originally specialized in tobacco and some non-tobacco brands. But again, Dimitris, we talked about this before the show. We'll explain a bit more about how the core business was built around that, but now they're diversifying away from that as a base product and things like that. Now, one of the things I will say before we kick off the show, Demetrius is actually the, the first time interview with someone who was suggested by actually another listener to the show. And they said about who was an inspiration for them. And that was, and again, my pronunciation, Gurav Chadid, who's the treasurer at Movell Group over in Berlin. He said that Demetrius was someone that had really inspired him and you know I should get him on the show. So I was absolutely thrilled to do so. In other news as well, he's the only person I've ever interviewed that has a taco truck. There you go. <laughs> we can get into that as well. It's amazing. We had a pre-brief call and it just lasted for about an hour and a half. It was amazing. So, Dimitris, tell us about your career because, as we said before the show, you started at Greenwich at uni and then you came up through that and then went into the army and then went into banking and finance. A very normal career route, as it were. So maybe uh, maybe talk us through, if you would, and kick it off from there. Well, Mike, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, and I definitely, I might not be thanking Gaurav after this, but I'll certainly be touching base with him. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not one of the traditional routes into, into treasury, corporate treasury or corporate finance, that's mm. for sure. After University of Greenwich, I think, like many of us, we were sort of struggling to really find our niche in our careers and what we wanted to do as a profession. One of the real character traits about myself is that I really love to challenge myself, put myself into difficult situations and really try and work out where the limits are in what I can do, where I can be pushed to go and you know how, how well I can perform under those pressures. And I think, you know, the British Army has a great reputation, you know, to be accepted onto the leadership training program at Santos. It was a great honor. Mm-hmm. It's not actually what I what I wanted to go into the Army for. I was thinking much more on the engineering core side. So it was something that tied back to my earlier days at Sixth Form Technical College. And I thought, yeah, okay, well, I can at least leverage on those skills and and develop a career for myself. Now, the Army saw things differently. They thought that I displayed some characteristics of leadership that they they would like to bring on board. And so I embarked on on that career. Now, obviously, at that time, I was a little bit reluctant to take on any international work with the British Army. And so really focused on joining the Home Service Battalions in Northern Ireland. We had wrapped up the Good Friday Agreement. Things on the ground in Northern Ireland had really improved. And so there wasn't so much space for me at the end of all that. Mm. Now, that, you know, sort of laid bare a couple of problems. What to do next? I'd had this great 
training. I had an opportunity of moving forward within the army, um, but I was also given the opportunity to leave and explore alternative careers. Now, at that time, I, I you know, I thought to myself, well, look, Dimitri, you've been through what is in essence, I think, what people term as one of the most difficult training courses in the world, and that's that that is the Santos Academy. I think you guys have probably seen that on a few BBC documentaries. And so I, I, I just knew that I was passionate about a profession that would really continue to challenge me, something that I could display uh, the, the qualities of leadership that I'd learned within Santos and give me a role that I could really think that I could add value to, I could make the working life and, you know, those who support you, uh, the professionals you work with, make their lives different in a better way. Mm-hmm. So I'm a very... I'm a big advocate of change. I think we we can never find ourselves sitting still. If you see yourself sitting still for longer than is comfortable, then you're just not doing the best of your abilities. And I don't know where that comes from. I probably, you know, lay a lot of the blame on my mother. She's a very focused (laughs) individual. But that's what kept driving me forward. So when my career in the British Army came to an end, at that time, a friend gave me a call and he said, look, mate, what are you doing? Come to London. The finance industry, banking and corporates are crying out for people like you. And, you know, to my to my credit or discredit, I took him up on that offer, packed my clothes with a bag full, just enough for the weekend. Thought to myself, well, if I get lucky, I'll, I'll stay. If I don't, well, I can move back to Northern Ireland. And it was at that point that, you know, I met with HSBC, the treasury people there, and they decided to put a punt on me, which I think, just to be clear, they don't usually make punts, but mm-hmm. I think in this, this case, it was a bit of a hedge. So they, they brought me on board. And from there, that's really how I got in, involved into the finance industry. A measured attitude to risk, was it? it was just a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no, there's no punts in our business. It's no, no. All, measured, yeah, they were it's sort it's of all balanced. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you thought, hang on, finance, you know, you'd had this different experiences. Why was it going into finance and then it was a springboard into your first role within core treasury at Cadbury's? But how did you go, actually, finance is where it's at for me? It didn't really happen like that, Mike. I think it was, you know, there's a lot of prestige around banking. I think, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd also reached out to a number of different industries at that time. But the one that really did impress me was, you know, you turn up to Canary Wharf, you're dwarfed by these enormous towers. You know, everybody's got a purpose. They're very driven. The place is a, a hive of activity. And it was it just gave you that stimuli that you knew, okay, this is where I need to be. This is where all the action's happening. This is where decisions being made are, are being made. Um, and it was it was that attraction. So very superficial at the beginning, I've got to be honest. When you get down to the details, they're always dirty. And I think it's within that detail that I was also able to expand my passion for finance, uh, my passion for open market operations, and really you know, set a, a, a target for the future, which which allowed me to sort of see myself and my career progress to a point that I knew I'd be happy. And um, well, it's 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 maybe that's a little bit too overreaching, saying you know I knew I'd be happy, but I knew that I would get a lot of satisfaction by filling the channels of that inexperience with experience and with motivation and with learning more and more about the job that I'm there to do, which is, 
thankfully, caretaker, well, not maybe not so much at that point, but certainly now, is to caretaker the, the, the group treasury function through the storms of the financial market, which I'd absolutely love to do. And then the move from banking into corporate, how did that come about and that first step to Cadbury's? Well, you know, working for a bank, it's very much a siloed operation. So there's lots of segregation. uh, There's lots of control in almost every aspect. It's very much specialization within a certain area. So, you know, in order, there there is no holistic view Mm. on the products and services that you're selling. You know you sell an FX deal. You're not entirely sure why, because sometimes these can be, you know, there's many, many reasons. Is there a a physical commodity under there? Are we just looking at, for instance, transactional hedging, translational hedging? There's all these different aspects that you just don't get a feel for as a banker. And I think at that point, I knew I didn't just want to check out products. I didn't want to look for that margin. Yes, I was one of the high performers. I was able to to, to come on the top five on, on sales pretty consistently every month after month, but it wasn't giving me the satisfaction. I needed to know more about what our customers were using those products for. And actually, when it came down to it, when, when I started asking questions, and actually, this is primarily the reason I got into corporate finance, was I, I'd sit on the phone and ask them and say, look, guys, you know, how are you using this? How are you accounting for this? You know, is there anything else that I could deliver to you that, that might help you in, in your day job or help the company? Now, it's a delving into those conversations with your clients yeah. is then you get a feel for the business. And when you get a feel for your business, you get a feel for the team. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, there's obviously a lot more going on here. I'm really interested and I would rather do something that might add a bit more value than just checking out financial products, something that, you know, you could get behind a corporate or a group because you believe in the idea. And at that point, an opportunity came up with Cadbury PLC, which probably a lot of you know from your childhood is that chocolate manufacturer, dairy milk, crunchies, whisper bars, just all the good stuff, sweets and chocolates and sugary drinks. And I thought, well, you know what? I could definitely get behind a company like that. At that point, I know, well, the opening had come up. I I completed a round of interviews and was very lucky to get involved with what was a great UK PLC and and one with hundreds of years of history behind it. I I was very privileged to move into that position. And to this day, I still have those fond memories coming back of my first days walking into that office down in Green Park and the sad memory of the last day I left. So that's, that's sort of what drove me to move to corporates. Mm. And then, just to put it in perspective, everyone, that when he did leave, it wasn't his fault. They had been bought by Kraft, so it it wasn't like, please exit stage left. So you were there, because you were there sort of two and a half years as as Cadbury was was growing rapidly, developing, really great place to be. We actually did a recent podcast with three of the other guys that worked with you, Jason Spanos, Matt Norris, and Toppy Yokaranta. And they were in, you know, I interviewed them live on stage. And all of you guys came together at a time at Cadbury's, which was fascinating. Great team. And John Fulton was there at the time. So we had lots of really great people. And then with the takeover by Kraft, it sort of, you all went to your different ways sort of thing. You know, describe what that was like. You know, you went through your time as a treasury dealer, you learned, but then 
the sort of springboarded you off to other places? What happened? Yeah, I think, you know, Jason, Matt and Toppy, mm. uh, they were kind of the key movers and shakers within within Cadbury Treasury at that time. And it was, you know, a sincere pleasure to work with them. And, you know, I, I can say pretty much the good grinding that drove me forward in my treasury career was a combination of all their inputs. And I think that's, that's really important to understand that. Within Cadbury at the time, we'd gone through enormous amount of change. We just sold off the Schweppes business, the Sahi beer company, and we were now a very much consolidated, very lean, mean little little company. Now, when that happens, of course, you have someone like Kraft, the Kraft Foods that moved in, enormous conglomerate, and they decided they wanted a little piece of Cadbury. And in a little piece of Cadbury, that meant, well, let's take him, which, okay, what to say about that? We knew we were under an aggressive takeover. We did everything in our power to try and prevent that to a degree. Um, so I say to a degree because obviously we ended up getting sold, but during that process, we were able to build up a, a, a very reactive, uh, fast moving, and I guess defensive treasury strategy spearheaded by Tom Jack at the time, which was the new group treasurer, Matt Norris, who was head of front office. So together with the ideas coming from those two, we were able to build up uh, a significant war chest. We expanded our short-term debt portfolio and we defended Cadbury's to the best of our ability. Now, that was an amazing situation to be in. Not only that, the fact that I, I sort of came from a military background, so me, it was very much playing on those emotions that we were mm. defending. Uh, you know, this is our place. And Capri's was more than a, a place to work. It was, it was very much culture. And, you know, we worked together not only within Treasury, but within the, the, the greater finance function. We worked together as a, a very well-oiled machine. So, unfortunately, the day came. The acquisition did move forward. And at that point, it just felt you know, that we'd lost. And it wasn't so much that it was anything through what we could have done better. It just felt that, you know, there wasn't, it was no longer there. The the, yeah. the, the team had, had moved into a place where we were now looking at a different model, a different business, a different attitude to moving our way forward. And, you know, for some of us, myself included, it was a story I thought, that had come to its natural conclusion. And at that point, I sort of started reaching out within the market and, you know, moved on to my next career, which for me was a very sad day. I learned my trade in Cadbury and I met and still continue to, to hold relationships with some amazing people. And they've, they've really supported me in and out of my treasury career. And I think the eye I can I can sort of tie on to the taco truck as well because mm. they've obviously had a big influence on, on all all aspects of my working life. So explain then for the again the listeners. So you then went you joined Tui, the travel company, and you know that sort of came a long time. Well, then we'll jump into the taco truck because people are just listening, going, "What?" So you 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 went to Tui, you got that role in Treasury. You started that. So explain the Tui bit, and then we'll tag into the sort of the taco stuff. 
Yeah, sure. So Tui, Tui Travel PLC, pretty much a recently founded PLC. It, it was an incorporation of Thompson Airways, First Choice, I think Britannia Airways as well. And so it came together also with the German operation. And that used to be called Preutzeig, which used to be an engineering company, but later formed into a travel group. And together they merged and, and formed a PLC. So it was based on in, in Gatwick. It was a fantastic opportunity. Where can you get a massive treasury function that's important, you know, that takes care of commodities? So you've got your jet fuel, you've got your cruise ships that you've got to not only look at interest rate problems for, but commodity exposures, foreign exchange exposures. So you were getting very much a holistic treasury function with Tui Travel. One of the few corporates, I think, FTSE 100, FTSE 250 that you could do at that time. Now, Tui, of course, I think you, a couple of people there, Stuart Chase oh, yeah. was eventually the group treasurer, just Val Kang, head of risk. Now, these guys came with a lot of experience. Stuart was from Adidas, uh, and just Val had clear financial director experience with other PLCs in the UK. So there was a lot of experience in that team and a lot of mentoring that went on in the background. For myself, I went in there as a senior dealer and took a bike crook, managed to work my way up to eventually head of cash management, not only for the PLC, but also eventually when the group was taken over by 2EAG, the German parent shareholder, I also became head of cash management over in Germany. Now, I guess, relating that to the taco truck, one might ask, where did I find the time? And <laughs> I, I, I think my wife would also ask that same question. Yeah, I think one of the things that carried forward uh, with me or, or I, I, I took on board after Cadbury's was I'm a very much an independent person. And I didn't want to be caught out in either a job, a career, a profession that I wasn't too happy with or on the other side that could be taken away from you at a moment's notice. So there was this, I guess there's this independent entrepreneurial spirit that I have in the background. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I've learned so many things from this treasury career. I love cooking. I had managed to go out to, my wife's American, so we, we've gone out there a few times. And during one of those visits, I was in New York and I, I, I saw the sort of food truck industry that's prevalent now. You know, every street corner has one. They range from tacos to burgers to pizzas. And I thought, you know what? I haven't seen this in London. Mm. And this fits in with this kind of idea that I have. I want to be a little bit independent, a little bit of an entrepreneur. Yeah, let's take this idea back. So. Yeah, brought the idea back with me to the UK and then that set about a four and a half year journey uh, into the catering business in London. I'll tell you what, for the listeners who, you know, and I researched before we originally had our first, my first call with Demetrius, when I found him on Facebook and we'll put the link to this in the show notes because it's an amazing journey about bringing back this truck, getting it sandblasted, your wife going, what have you done to us? And, you know, it's amazing when you read back through and then you're sort of launching this and, and actually through the Facebook bits, which, you know, again, I'm not a big Facebook person, but it was amazing to see the journey over those over that time and you driving that business alongside a full-time treasury career as well. So certainly interesting. And then you got, you know, again, bring it more relevant or up to date as such so you were doing the taco stuff 
you were at TUI, and then you got up to sort of a, a couple of years ago now, and again, we talked about this before the show, that as if that wasn't enough of a challenge, I know, let's go to Germany. Just how, you know, how did that come about? Or, you know, you then became, you're headed up for Zalando over in Berlin, you know, and again, for the listeners, they might think, oh, can I make an international move? Well, you actually did it. So explain how that come about, came about, really. Look, I'm not going to stand myself or single myself out and say I'm the only person that's done an international career within Treasury. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've had Toffee on the show, fantastic guy, you know, a global explore, explorer when it comes mm-hmm. to, to Treasury. And it was, I put it down to people like that, to professional influences, to the fact that I, I am one of these restless characters. You've got to put me under pressure. And, you know, anything that I can see would add value to my career, the gaps that are missing, where Treasury is moving to in the future, how can I make sure that I'm on board? How can I move with that flow? You know, these are kind of some of the, some of the inspirations behind the decision. It was, you know, London... We'd been there for, I think, close to seven years. It wasn't become, you know, London's a, a massive animal. And of course, there are plenty of other businesses that you could have taken the opportunity with. But for me, moving out to a different culture, a different land with almost zero skill, language skills, it was, well, it was a bit scary, daunting. Yeah. You were moving to a very much... You weren't, you weren't moving to a city centre like Frankfurt or Munich where you might have expected English to be, you know, the first language. So for me, I, I understood some of the challenges that I was going to face, especially when it came to the function itself. So I was I was going to be placed leading a team, a multinational team that ranged from, you know, pretty much pan-Europe. You know, we had Italian, Spanish people, Germans, English, all within that cash management and front office team. And for me, I just thought it was a great way of building up, reinforcing those skills of being able to communicate specifically around the industry that you work in to an international audience and also drive that team, those participants forward in a direction that you want to take in. And how can you do that if you don't have the experience? It's all well and good when people talk about, you know, you've got to be open to change. You've got to take those opportunities. But if you don't take them yourself, what sort of person are you? And I, and I think that it was kind of that spirit that I really wanted to, to reinforce and prove to myself that it was something I could do. Okay. I'd seen various friends and colleagues doing over over my lifetime and my career. And I thought, you know, I want to be one of those people. I want to take this to a new level. And there, there shouldn't be anything after this that, that puts me off, that frightens me, you know. That once you've dealt with that challenge, I think others are much easier to face. And how did it, you know, again, digging back into that move, were you actively looking for a role overseas? I mean, you and I have discussed this, but again, for the listeners, how did it come about? You know, you just got a phone call out of the blue. Hey, do you want a job in Berlin? Or, you know, what was the reasoning behind that? Particularly, as you, as you said, you, you didn't have, you know, I, I thought before, I said, oh, did he speak German? Was it? No, I didn't speak German, but uh, yeah, I got a job as cash management, you know, re- leading all the team over there. I was like, what? And so, again, the people listening would go, right, so what, what led to that sort of thing? Well, look, I think looking at my career, personally, I like to divide treasury into two specific areas. One is 
very much well known. It's the center of excellence. It's looking at the academics around financial policies and, and how to proceed with the, the company's risk appetite and, and to embark on open market operations based on that. The other side is very much technology. Now, looking at companies like Chewy, like e-commerce businesses like Zalando, one that I would, would move into in the future, their approach to treasury is very much different. So they very much look at technology as being one of the key drivers to ensure a, a good well-versed treasury function. Now, within the UK, I've really been working in, you know, center of excellences and and I just needed that move into technology. And it was something that I really delivered on through various projects over my career, automating treasury management systems, looking at new instruments to plug in, to, I guess, into your book to either solve immediate transactional problems or, or look at certain issues that might come down the line, uh, such as reporting, consolidation, hedge accounting, all that sort of good stuff. For me, Europe was moving into this e-commerce section. You know, Germany is, is pretty much renowned, especially in Berlin, for being very much a tech hub. Most unicorn startups, most e-commerce businesses within Europe are really kicking off in Germany. Now, when I did make that decision to move to Germany, the market in Germany was somewhere I was keeping a, a close eye on at the time. I did feel that it was a country I wanted to move to. And I thought, you know, given where the country, the EU, was moving to in that direct or over the course of years, the EU had changed dramatically. Germany had opened up. And I was thinking that that might possibly be a good place to be to get involved into this new type of treasury world that a lot of German corporates seem to be moving into, albeit with a very old fashioned top down approach to management. So, you know, I'd I'd like to say, you know, it, it sounds great moving in there blindly. But to be honest, I had done a a fair bit of research and knew the technology transformation projects. This is where I wanted to be in for the next, you know, few years. And and Germany was was really an inspiration to do that. And it's certainly where I cut my teeth on a lot of the more interesting aspects of that part of part of Treasury. Mm, Amazing. Because, you know, again, to the listeners, he stepped out of his comfort zone and moved to Germany. You did that role. You also took the taco truck with you. My <laughs> wife obviously thanks you for it. And as you said, with that taco truck, that was a sort of a side hustle, side gig as it were, but actually that was going rather well as well, or maybe describe yeah. how those two sort of worked. And then, and then you'll return back to the UK more recently. So just walk us through that little bit of the journey. Yeah, sure. The, the taco truck. So it, the business, we named it Ambriento, spelt with an H. It means extremely hungry. Hungry for tacos was the motto. I mean, the business did extremely well to the point where it was, it was a very tough decision. We were at a, a crux whether to focus on Ambriento in London or to take the opportunity and move to Germany. Yeah. Now, we felt at the beginning, the point of getting the, the taco truck up and running was, yes, it's an independent business, but you're not bound by bricks and mortar. And that was kind of, I guess that's kind of reflective of my wife and my, my own personality. We're not very much free spirits. So we would like to think we're free spirits, but we're very open to 
change and to, to new ideas, new opportunities. And I, I think when we looked at the business, we said, okay, well, we're doing extremely well in London. Uh, actually, through the business, we were able to, to finance our own property. So we were able to get onto the, the housing ladder, which was very difficult at the time. I think property prices were going through the roof. So it was a way of not only compensating for that fact, but for also gaining a little bit of enjoyment through our own endeavors. Now, taking the truck over to Germany, it just felt like a natural option. I mean, that was kind of the reason for having the truck. It was going to give us this ability to move and work anywhere. And that's exactly what we did. We said, okay, wife, Ellie, uh, you're going to be coming with me to Germany. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to cut it. Hopefully I'll get to repeat that. I, I spoke to my wife and through a mutual discussion uh, and agreement, we decided that when we were moving to Germany, uh, we'd take the truck with us because this also gave her an outlet and allowed her to, to, to continue working in an environment that she knew and, somewhere, and something that she loved doing. So to yeah. so us, it was kind of almost a, a natural marriage between my career at the tackle truck, which brought us together and also gave us that outward avenue to express ourselves and also make a little bit of extra money, but it could come with us. So it all seemed to fit quite well, even though it's probably one of the more difficult logics to try and explain yeah. to people, but it did seem to marry up quite well. And you made the move to Germany, you successfully established yourself at Zalando, and then you said, right, I need to keep developing and you know, after a period of time and, and you know, the natural step was then came up a roll back in the UK. So again, someone if someone's listening, they're gonna hang on. So you went Sussex to Germany, back to the UK and Bristol. So, you know, maybe explain explain the reasoning if you would, because again if you're listening and looking you go, Oh, okay, how did that happen? Yeah, sure. It is kinda of, it's it's a difficult story to, to explain. I think with Salon, though, one of the key things that, that was just absolutely fantastic, and I guess reinforces some of my own views about the, the split in a treasury function. Within Salon, though, they were very much, you know, technology, you were married to technology, not only within your, your treasury function, but the business as a whole. So we were doing some experimental stuff with blockchain, with machine learning. We were trying to build a treasury function inside pretty much an AI type environment. So leveraging off S4 HANA capabilities and really taking a view of what was a traditional treasury operation. How can we bring that into this AI environment, this machine learning environment and automate as much as possible? Now, you're having to deal with a lot of learning at that point. So you're being stretched to, to, to your capabilities on that. You're translating you know, technical scripts, technical ideas into financial ideas and, and communicating that up the chain to your CFO. So, so that was an extremely unique position. And it was somewhere that I really saw a future in. So I still believe predominantly a treasury role will be really underpinned by technology in the coming years. Now, the move back to Bristol, this role with Imperial Brands came up and it was something that, that intrigued me. I think anyone looking at a traditional tobacco firm, if they spend an extra five minutes maybe looking around those traditional firms, they'll notice that, and I think there's been some, you know, there, there's been some significant press 
more, more recently in regards to vaping and alternative tobacco products. Now, if you were to look more into that and, and explore more deeply, you would see that these, these tobacco companies, so BAT, Imperial, they may be fast-moving consumer goods, but they're now looking to leverage on what has been really, to put it, yeah, to think about e-commerce, to think about retail, direct marketing, direct sales to your consumer, where in these sort of older tobacco companies, this is kind of a new idea, and they are really driving forwards how can we get closer to our consumers? How can we move away from tobacco? How can we really deliver more well-being, a safer product, and put in a lot more control and restrictions and regulation around the products that, that we deliver? Mm. Now, that marries up a lot of the learnings I gained from working within B2C businesses with a traditional uh, tobacco company that has been very much B2B and just collecting in through the distributors. So there I really saw an opportunity where this market is changing. I love change. I want to be at the forefront of that. Here is Imperial, a traditional, you know, hundreds-year-old FTSE 100 company mm-hmm. putting away tobacco and moving into alternative products like vape, like cannabinoid technology, like heated tobacco, which for me was an exciting opportunity. It comes with a huge amount of risk. I mean, we know tobacco is on the way out. Over time, it is, you know, it is a dying market. But here you had a company that had a huge amount of spirit to change what they were doing and really turn around the whole branding, the whole image, and provide a much more safer opportunity for the customers. So to me, it almost seemed like a natural fit. Okay, it resulted in another change in, in location. But for me, again, looking at my career, looking at what I needed to do to really achieve the goals, the uh, experience that I need to be a group treasurer, I saw this as a perfect fit. And, and hopefully they see me as, the, uh, as a good fit for themselves as well. And looking at the development that you, you talked, that was great, actually, naturally lead into the development of treasury. You've taken this role to sort of expand your other areas of yourself. Is that a key thing for you? That you and you think that again, if you're a treasury analyst manager listening today, and you're thinking, right, where do I need to go next? You know that you're sort of trying to tell the other guys, this is what you need to be doing. This is how you need to push out of your comfort zone. We talked about this before in our pre-brief call of the other day. That you actually said, as you talked about that, it's the future. You know, you've got to look. Where do you see yourself? as an individual in the future of Treasury, would you say? Look, I I think it's clear for me as a Treasury professional, the one thing I could, if I I was going to give a bit of advice, one piece of advice to any junior Treasury analyst out there or someone just starting their career is be interested. Learn something every day. Keep that development going. It's the one thing that's going to keep you interested in your job just by being interested. You know, by opening yourself up to any new opportunity, to any new piece of information, that is going to not only bring a lot of self-satisfaction to your own life, so, you know, you can't just separate work and life. You know, we talk about a balance. To me, 
you know, one is almost the other when it comes to spending your time with, you know, a bunch of people for, you know, God knows how many hours a week, a day, a year. It's important that you have, you know, a truthful and honest discussion with yourself. Find out where your weaknesses and strengths are. Build on those weaknesses to make them become strengths and to really say to yourself, look, I've got to be interested in this. This is part of my well-being and I need to see something today that I can see helps me become that person in the future. So it's, it's a lot about building this image of what type of professional you want to be. Now, there's many aspects. We can talk about, you know, what you need to do to improve leadership skills, management yeah, yeah, skills, yeah. going to be time, personal, whatever. But I think you need to, it's almost like meditation. Put that image of who you would like to be. Don't be frightened. If this, for, you know, I think one thing that on board from, from working in Europe is, you know, people don't have an embarrassment about talking about, about who their mentor is. And I think maybe it's the English, maybe it's me, maybe it's the people I've worked with. We've been reluctant to sort of say, you, you, you know, in the pub, you'd be like, ah, oh, he's a standout guy, but you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really say, look, he is my mentor. He is someone I have learned not only technical and professional skills from, but really the way he interacts with people is just something I admire and I want to learn from. And I, I think that was something that, that I really took on board when I, when I worked in Germany. And now I look back through my, my own career and I see that it is mentors that build your experience, that build your skills. And so for me, it's kind of marrying up that, that position. Project yourself forward. Who is it you want to be? What is, you know, what do you need to do to get there? And by hook or by crook, just do it. You know, and I guess that's kind of kind of where I see my path and, and hopefully that's where I'm moving to as well. And I've got to say, you know, sometimes we end the show with, you know, me trying to sort of summarize and we'll put Demetrius' uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. But that's a great effective close. You know, I think that, yeah, just listen to those words, repeat them. We'll put some of them summarized in the show notes uh, unless there's any final other you know, killer advice you like. I think that was brilliant. Like I said, it's it's been an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast. I hope I haven't bored your listeners too much. But oh no! For me, yeah, I think I think for me, it's you can't just look at treasury as being you know an accounting profession, a very boring. I'm not going to disparage my, my fellow accountants, but yeah, for me, it's something more than that. For me, it's always been an inspiration, and I hope it continues to be an inspiration. The day that it doesn't is the day I'll probably bugger off to, to Alaska or somewhere <laughs> like that. <laughs> Let's hope that day is not too, not too soon, because you'll yeah, have to take the taco truck to the Alaskans. That'd be nice as well. <laughs> Um, but joking aside, I, I think, you know, anyone listening today is going to go, actually, this is someone we want to hear more from in the future. So we will have, you know, some feature shows coming up when we get the time. It's just been a bit crazy this year. We're just coming up for the one year anniversary of the podcast. So what we are going to do later on this year is actually get some of these feature shows where we sort of talk about treasury talent of the future and some of the other things other you know, than just the career show. So I, I know that I'll have Demetrius back on. It's been amazing, and we had a, a blast before. It was meant to be a 20-minute briefing uh, call that we had the other day. We, we, were, we were chatting for an hour and a half. It was just so interesting. 
He's an engaging guy. I can't wait to meet him for a beer some stage down in Bristol or closer. But yeah, you know, all that remains for me to say is thank you for your time today. People can connect to you by a LinkedIn profile, which I'm sure you've got a flood of people after this. And uh, thanks for your time, sir. Well, thanks very much, Mike. Pleasure. Thanks very much. <laughs>